Welcome to the Night of the Rabbit, the Pagecast. Book One The Rabbit's Apprentice. Episode 1, in which a bullfrog forges an alliance. The dark silhouettes of the dizzying skyscrapers on the horizon rose and vanished into the thick yellow-gray cloud that had kept out the sunlight for so many years. Life in Megacorp City was the preserve of the members of the financial conclave, the 77 richest and most powerful companies in this world. The Tiger Corporation, the Adler Holding Company, the Panda Bank and other elite conglomerates had divided up the continents and oceans amongst themselves and now spent their days grappling for control of the conclave, like lethargic, swollen-bellied snakes. The Consortium Squamata, once a thriving financial firm, now found itself among the losers of this power struggle. Following a string of failed investments that had driven it to the brink of ruin, the consortium's position in the conclave had been revoked, and the consortium was cast out of the city. Still feeling the sting of humiliation, the Squamatux, the head of the consortium, had relocated his company's headquarters to the desolate, pest-ridden outskirts of the smog-shrouded metropolis. Every day, the huge bullfrog gazed out of his window at the needle-like towers he had once called home. Now, just remind us of his bitter failure. The amphibian had bought the company, and even the title of Squamatax, decades ago, from a naive old lizard whose poor, fortunate, kindly nature had left his enterprise open to a predatory takeover. The bullfrog's hunger for success had hauled the firm back into the top echelons of the financial food chain, bringing him power, expensive suits, and anything else he desired. And if rumor were to be believed, some of his desires were very dark indeed. It lasted for a time. But the bullfrog's appetites grew too large, his resources overstretched, ruin followed. Looking back, the Squamatax's tired, bulging eyes saw the company's success as his doing and his alone. Its economic downfall, of course, was everyone else's fault. He had sworn to restore his business's reputation and earn back his place in the city. But his world was used up. It 
its resources drained. His last hope lay in economic expansion beyond its boundaries, beyond all he knew. He had provided the remaining members of his research and development department with secret ancient writings to study. The lost words of traveling magicians who had lived centuries ago. It was in these writings and others he arranged to be stolen from museums that a scientist found what he had been looking for. Signs that there were other worlds out there other worlds to plunder. According to the magician's records, the key to these new worlds lay here, on the outskirts of Megacorp City. Here stood the last patch of woodland on this barren world, where trees had become as scarce as empathy. The Squamatax had moved fast to buy up the land using his remaining financial resources to build a new headquarters, a glistening monstrosity that encased the woodland like a glass coffin. Now the consortium's researchers kept the dying trees alive with a combination of artificial light and a mysterious proprietary fertilizer, which bubbled like swamp mud and cast an eerie red glow onto the trees as they posed stoically for study. Enriched with nitrogen and the shells of ground-up beetles, this concoction was channeled through rubber tubes directly into the trunks. Thick strands of cables connected sensors and power lines and the bark and roots to the buzzing computers, with which the scientists hoped to unlock the secrets of the woods. The magician's ancient records spoke of portal trees whose roots bridged the gap in time and space, allowing them to walk between worlds. The squamatax's greed filled heart swelled as he thought of the untouched soil and untapped markets that lay beyond these portals. Years later, when even the Squamatax himself was losing faith and several of his scientists had burned to a crisp in the furnace of his ambition, suddenly the breakthrough came. Contact with another world. From there things moved quickly, thanks to an electromagical radio device known as the Locutor the consortium was able to establish a network of spies in the worlds beyond the sealed portals. Aided by the sophisticated instruments and the information provided by their new contacts, the Squamataxis scientists toiled day and night in their efforts to map the portal worlds. The Squamatax concluded contracts with like-minded, profit-driven partners in these other worlds who promised in return to leave no stone unturned in their attempts to open the portals so the consortium could finally travel through them. They spoke of fantastical creatures whose powers they would harness for this purpose, of occult rituals they would use to 
forced the magicians of their worlds to aid their cause, but with every attempt, the Squamatax's locutor brought him the same news. Someone had foiled their plans. A mysterious magician known only as the Tree Walker. Each report described this figure the same way, a white rabbit in a long red coat. The Squamatax hated the Tree Walker from the bottom of his blackened heart. He hated him for stifling his plans of expansion. He hated him for keeping the portals closed. Most of all, though, he hated the tree walker because he possessed that for which the Squamatax himself had yearned for so long. The power to walk between worlds. Time was running out for the bullfrog. Only 14 of the 446 trees he had acquired had roots that connected to other worlds, and one of those had already died off since the consortium's work began. Its pathway closed forever. Only 13 portals remained. For weeks now, the Squamatax had been sending radio messages to other worlds promising a handsome reward for any information on the nettlesome rabbit and an even greater bounty to anyone who could capture the accursed magician. Then, one night, all his hard work finally paid off. At the sound of the earth-shattering alarm, the Squamatax's chief scientist shot out of her chair. The mouse fumbled for her spectacles in the pocket of her black lab coat and pushed them onto her whiskered nose. Backed by the black of night, the windows reflected her own dazed face back at her. Cursing herself for nodding off, she cast her gaze across the board that housed the status lamps for the portal trees. A single light was flashing. Tree 257, she whispered scarcely believing her sleep-muddled eyes. A rotund hamster in a black lab coat that matched her own rushed to her side. What's happening, Dr. Growmouse? The mouse didn't reply. She tore a long ream of paper from a machine that was spewing out measurements from the sensors attached to the trees, while jagged lines covered the page. Portal alarm? said the hamster as he, too, noticed the flashing light. He tapped the side of the monitor a few times. The equipment had been wrong before, after all. Dr. Graumaus's eyes darted over the paper. She looked up, staring into the half-light of the dying woods, beyond the glass door that separated the research area from the trees. The sensors on the tree trunks flickered like fireflies in red, gold and green. So many years of the mouse's life had been dedicated to the study. So many. Something's coming, she said. Sorry, the hamster replied, still fiddling with the equipment and struggling to hear his colleague over the alarm. Something's coming, Dr. Gromaus shouted. Then the lab was plunged into chaos. 
sparks flew from the computers, the lights and monitors fizzed and flickered, and the instruments spooled out ream after ream of jet black paper. The hamster reached to turn off a machine, only to be thrown back with a yelp as an arc of raw electricity leapt from the outlet. Then every light in the building went out. The alarm fell into sudden silence. Only the reddish glow of the fertilizer remained, casting woodland and research facility alike in an eerie hue. The silence was broken by the rumble of the elevator, at which Dr. Kraumos jumped once more. Besides the lab, there was only one other stop on the elevator's route, the Squamatax's personal quarters. The doors glided open. What's going on here? The giant bullfrog thundered. He stepped out of the elevator in a velvet dressing gown, emergency lantern in one hand, and stomped towards the two scientists, his nostrils flaring with rage. Great investor, we... stammered the hamster. The bullfrog brushed him to one side. He didn't waste his time on low earners. Why is the power down? He asked the chief scientist. And what in the name of crashing stock prices was that racket? The scientist didn't answer. Without a word, she plucked the lantern from the squamatax's hand and marched with long, determined steps through the automatic glass door that led to the trees. But, the bullfrog sputtered. I asked you a question, Graumaus. But his bellows fell on deaf ears, as the chief scientist neither stopped nor turned around. The hamster simply shrugged his shoulders. Scientists who got between the squamatax and his hunger for success had a habit of disappearing suddenly, and he had no intention of adding his name to that list. 3257! The mouse called out, increasing her pace. Something's coming through the portal. The squamatax stared in disbelief as his chief scientist disappeared into the ghostly forest. Then his expression turned into one of rapturous greed. He hurried towards the glass door himself, eager not to lose track of the mouse. The hamster followed, at a safe distance. The squamatax usually avoided entering the woods. The mud and grass ruined his suits, and the insects and other creatures that crawled about in the bark and damp earth gave him the creeps. Too much life he couldn't control. Fortunately, it wasn't long until he caught up with Dr. Graumhaus. He found her stood before a gigantic tree upon which was nailed a small metal sign marked Specimen 257. The scientist removed the glasses from her nose and stared in fascination as dots of light danced about the roots of the ancient giant. What's that? The squamatax demanded. Magic, Dr. Graumaus whispered. Finally. She caught a glimmering sphere and balanced it on her paw. Then, as if responding to an unheard command, the lights floated to the roots of the tree, pushed their way between its fibers, and disappeared. What did you do? growled the squamatax. That wasn't me, Dr. 
Gagraumas replied, her voice steeped in wonder. She took a step back. The roots and trunk of the tree began to emit an otherworldly glow, as if a fire had been lit deep inside them. The cables and tubes burst away from the wood and were left writhing helplessly on the muddy forest floor. Then it happened. The bark began to crackle and a gleaming portal opened before the three animals' eyes. A storm of light tore out of the opening in the tree's trunk. Magical energy. The lights were so bright, Dr. Gramos, the Squamatux and the hamster had to cover their eyes. When they opened them again, they saw a figure standing in the gateway, silhouetted against its blinding light. At first, the Squamatux struggled to make out any detail. Then, part of the shadow peeled away from the light, the color of a blood-red coat. White fur fluttered in the magic-soaked wind. It's him, the Squamatux spluttered, his voice but a faint croak. The Tree-Walker. The accursed magician had finally come to reckon with him. But then he realized his mistake. The ears of the figure in the portal were too short, its body too long and thin. The bullfrog took a step towards the stranger. Be careful, great investor, the hamster squeaked. Quiet, Dr. Graumhaus commanded, her gaze fixed on the events unfolding before her. The portal closed behind the figure in a flash of fizzing sparks. Luminous steam rose from the trunk of the tree, and from it the figure emerged, its features finally clear. A white rabbit it was not, yet it was no less imposing or mysterious. An ice-white stoat, its face hard and inscrutable. The Squamatux, still in his dressing gown, rose to his full height in an attempt to command the newcomer's respect. Who are you? he asked, a layer of menace in his voice. The stranger regarded the three creatures through cold black eyes. Then her gaze fell upon the head of the consortium, and finally she spoke. I am the judge of Hodo. The stoat's voice was a raw hiss, hot coals dropped on water. I have come to ask for your aid. Despite a declaration, the judge's demeanor reflected on the slightest hint of need or peril. She waited a moment for the Squamatax's response. When none came, she continued. The rabbit you seek stands accused of the most heinous of crimes. I have been sent by the great magical academy of Hoto to bring him to justice. The judge's fangs flashed white in the half-light. By the power vested in me as upholder of the laws of the portal worlds, I seek your aid, Squamatax. Will you help me deliver 
upon this so-called tree walker the punishment he deserves? Slowly, the bullfrog's expression of shock turned into a grin. There was nothing he wanted more than to finally take the fight to his adversary. The judge could be a powerful ally, exactly what he had been looking for. Yet, for the squamatucks, that wasn't enough. If I can assist you in this matter, judge, then naturally I shall do so, said the bullfrog, spreading his arms in a vain attempt to mask his greed with generosity. But what can we expect from you in return? The Squamatax was playing a dangerous game. If he angered the judge, the potential of this first contact would crumble to nothing. The judge's expression was inscrutable. She turned to take in the consortium's dying forest, the black tip of a tail twitching. Was that a smile that threatened to cross her lips? In reward for your aid, spoke the judge, holding the squamatax in her jet-black gaze. I will teach you the art of walking between worlds. It's the end of the path to the old tree. of tales Can you see them move in the bushes They've come to meet you halfway Now go Thank you for listening to The Night of the Rabbit, The Pagecast. The Pagecast was written and narrated by me, Matt Kempkin. Special thanks to Ian Farrell for the English translation, to Thilo Alpermann for composing and performing our intro and outro music, to Aljoscha Jelinek, Corinna Ertl and Sebastian Kempke for providing invaluable feedback. And to Corinna Ertel for performing our Pagecast theme song. Also special thanks to Olga Azu Andrienko and Simone Schmöl-Grünewald for our main cover artwork. The Night of the Rabbit is an adventure game I wrote a long time ago and which you can play right now. Just follow the link in the show notes. But you don't need to know the game to listen to this podcast, which expands the story from the game. 
the episodes of this page cast are chapters from the book I'm currently writing in my spare time. If you want to support the page cast and the novel, you can do that. You will find the links in the show notes. In two weeks' time, the page cast returns with episode two, in which a lot is happening near and on the old owl wall.